Welcome back to Autism First Language. I'm your host, Magnus Edemark. I want to talk to you today about something that feels a little unsafe to talk about. Uh, I think I'm taking maybe some, some personal, some professional risk in talking about this subject, but it's an important subject. As we get to seeing more and more autistic people, openly autistic people in the workplace, an understanding needs to be built. How are these autistic workers going to be supported to feel they have everything they need to be successful? I've been working full time for 26 years now. And in that time, for most of that time, about half of that time, I didn't even know that I was autistic. I just knew I was different and I knew I was struggling. I was struggling to get jobs. I was struggling to keep jobs. If I was in one job for more than a year, uh, it felt like I'd really accomplished something. After about a year and a half, two years on the outside, it all came crashing down consistently. There's one company I worked at for five years and it wasn't because they were particularly good at supporting my needs. It was because nobody cared. I think I had five bosses in five years or four bosses in five years. And Outside of the first one, the first boss was really good, but the the ones that came after that, I never saw them. I couldn't even, I, I'm struggling to even remember their names. We didn't have one-on-ones. They didn't come hang out uh, in the area where m- me and my coworkers were. They were on the same campus, but worked in an entirely different building from the people who reported to them. So it gave me a lot of room to find a way to work that worked for me. I had a general idea of what I was hired for. I had no goals established. I had no fire drills, you know, no boss coming down and telling me, Oh, Hey, I I need, I need a cover for the TPS report by noon. None of that. So. I could literally do as much or as little as I wanted. And as long as I'm in IT, right? And I, at the time, I was responsible for running a bunch of servers that people depended on to do their jobs. There was no way to measure my success other than the servers are up, they're working. I actually took a lot of pride in it. And I did a lot of things that today we take for granted, but back then, um, it, w- it was kind of bleeding edge. I'm not going to get all technical on you guys, but it suffices to say that I found a place of autistic excellence because of a culture of managerial neglect. Some of the best ideas I had were 
because there was some kind of a large problem, a complex problem, a complicated problem. And at that point in my life, I didn't mind smoking some tobacco. I didn't use cigarettes. I used pipes. I used cigars. I'd occasionally use a hookah. But we had behind the cafeteria a designated smoking area. I'd go down there with another engineer who was a cigarette smoker and we'd go outside and we'd talk about the big problem we were going to solve together. Now, he had ADHD and I had just found out that I was autistic but I wasn't yet open about it. I didn't share that with people. I was still figuring out for myself what that meant. So, here's two people, one with ADHD, one autistic, outside smoking, fixing the problems of the world, or at least of our own little world. And if you were an observer in these rituals, you, you might be surprised that there was surprisingly little talking going on. One would bounce an idea off the other, or a thought off the other. We'd each take a drag off of our respective cancer delivery devices. He his cigarette, me my cigar. And if you know anything about cigars, you know these smoke breaks weren't like five minute breaks. We would be out there for an hour, maybe more. If we were on a good streak, we might spend two hours out there just smoking, talking, listening, being silent, enjoying our mutual silence. But what almost always erupted from these sessions was some moment of clarity. You might be wondering, if you've been listening for the first few episodes, you might be wondering why I'm not playing music in the background. Why am I playing beach sounds, ocean sounds? There's a point to it. it it's actually relevant. We would sit out there for an hour or two, and we'd have coming out of that I think a brilliant idea brilliant not because the solution was complicated or complex not because it had a lot of moving parts but because it was simple simple answers to complicated problems are often the hardest one and the most resilient We ended up running that part of the business like, I don't know, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to claim too much credit, but we were given a lot of room to run things the way we wanted to run things because we did it really well. And we did it really well because nobody was micromanaging us. Nobody was telling us what to do or how to do it. We were professionals. We knew our jobs. 
we knew what the most important thing was. Keep those servers up, keep them running fast, keep the people who use those servers happy. So that's what we did. That's pretty much all we did. And we did it well. And we did it well because we had room to do it well. Our way. The way our different brains thought. My colleague with ADHD, his processes uh, work differently than mine. And it was really clear. He often did more talking than me. He had a... Uh, I, I would say he was quick to come up with new ideas. And for my part, I think my strength was thinking them through and reducing them down to simplicity. So eventually I did leave that job. Not because the conditions changed, but because uh, that particular company really enjoyed using layoffs as a tool to please the shareholders, to meet their quarterly numbers. They were really bad at setting quarterly goals. And instead of meeting those performance goals, they would lay off a bunch of staff. And yeah... People are expensive. Anytime you get rid of a bunch of people, you save a bunch of money. You'll look great. Well, I saw these coming. I didn't like it. I saw good people getting laid off. Good workers. And I thought it was time to leave on my own terms. So I did. And I went off to another string of, you know, one-year jobs, 18-month jobs, and that went on for years. So, in the time since then, I've come out as autistic. Everybody I work with knows I'm autistic. I've also made a, a bit of a career leap. I am no longer an engineer. I'm now in middle management or executive management, depending on how you want to look at it. Meaning, I'm, I'm no longer an engineer. I mostly no longer manage engineers. Like I manage people who manage engineers and I manage a portfolio of products, a number of different products. It's a different skill set than engineering. But a lot of the cognitive tools that serve me as an engineer serve me as a manager, as a leader. I do carve out time for solitude, silence, reflection. I do carve out time for those big, complex, complicated problems to reveal simple, elegant, resilient solutions. And I think that's been one of my strengths as a leader. I think my autistic brain, when given room to work in its way, brings a lot to the table. Now, don't get me wrong. I think if 
everybody around me thought like me, it'd be an unmitigated disaster. But I think having some people around that think like me is a strategic advantage. And I'm just one kind of autistic thinker. If you followed the work of Temple Grandin, you know, she promotes that there's, I think, I think she says three different kinds of autistic brains. Now, I respect Dr. Grandin, and I do disagree with a lot of what she says. She is a product of a certain era, and a lot of her thinking is limited to the thinking of that era. There are many different kinds of autistic thinkers. Probably as many as there are stars in the sky. Grandin likes to say that... Uh, I'm going from memory here. And you can see I don't have perfect recall, so I'm not that kind of autistic thinker. But... She, she talks about like there's, there's people who think in pictures like her. Like, I, I think she says if, if you say mailbox to her, she goes through a photographic memory of all the mailboxes she's ever seen. And if you add some filter criteria to it, you know, white mailbox, white mailbox near the ocean, she can reduce that down to a small set. This, this very visual way of thinking has helped her to be very successful in her field. She's come up with some great innovations in livestock management because she can empathize with the livestock and she can see systems that work the way the livestock thinks. Making room for Dr. Grandin to think the way she thinks liberated her, her potential. It allowed her to deliver the maximum amount of value that her autistic brain could bring. I'm not that kind of thinker. I'm good with a camera, but that doesn't mean I'm a visual thinker. I'm also, you're going to be really disappointed in me, but I'm not great at math. And I have really terrible recall of facts and figures. I'm not going to tell you about statistics of baseball players or train schedules or anything like that. That's not how my autistic brain works. I think the best way to describe the way my brain works is I am an associative pattern thinker. Everything is holistic. Everything is connected to everything else is connected to everything else. There's a multiverse happening inside of my mind all the time. Cause and effect. One decision creates a whole universe of possibilities. Each filled with follow-up decisions and possibilities. You probably have to get into the world of fiction to get some understanding of 
how my brain works. Pardon me if you're not a comic book movie fan, but there was an Avengers movie. <laughs> yes, a comic book movie where Doctor Strange has uh, this, this device that allows him to manipulate time, time itself. And he's floating around and he's in the Zen state and he's exploring potential timelines where decisions are made trying to find what's the best possible outcome. Is there any chance of the Avengers winning against the bad guy, Thanos? And he says he, he came up with, I don't know what, it, there was a very specific number. It was like 14 million different timelines that he explored. And he only came up with one, one possible chance of victory. Now, I'm not going to say, I'm not, I'm not going to try to bullshit you and say that I can explore 14 million different timelines in my brain. But I do have a natural inclination to following decision pathways and seeing great distance out what the like likely outcomes are and the risks and the rewards. As a leader, as a strategic business leader, this has been like a superpower for me when it has the chance to work. You can tell me where you want to be in five years, 10 years. Give me a chance to explore, cognitively explore your business as it exists today. The more I can see the greater the altitude I can reach, the fewer barriers between me and discovery will permit me to see a very clear path from where we are now to where we want to be in three, four, five, ten years. But it's not just the strategy, right? I can, I can cognitively take that vision and execute on it. I can take the people that report to me and I can make small moves now that will set them up for momentum so that they will naturally gravitate towards the vision, the strategy. I make it easy for them to do the right thing. And after a certain point, I can almost step away from it and give gentle nudges every now and then. I look at leadership like the Olympic sport of curling. You know where the goal is. You have this mass, this stone, right? And I look at that as, um, that's all the people in the organization. And you clear a path in front of the stone and then you give the stone a nudge. And then you don't touch the stone after that. You clear the path in front of the stone. So the stone is likely to go down the path of least resistance. Okay, so Magnus, why the ocean sounds? Why the beach? Alright, now we're getting to what makes it hard for me. 
This is a challenge I've had my whole career, and it's something I'm personally struggling with right now. When I have room to do my job my way, I get high marks. I always get dinged for the social side of it. I can, I can be a bit bastardly, apparently. Go figure, autistic person with social challenges. Yes, that's, I've got that. But other than that, I get really high marks for having a vision, aligning people to my vision, winning, earning, hanging on to the loyalty of people around me, and seeing it through. Coming up with great results, time after time after time. And so I've moved up. I've moved up a few times. I went from engineer, to manager, to senior manager, to director, and recently senior director. I've been doing the work of a senior director of, I don't know, like a year, year and a half. But uh, the way these things work is you, you do the job for a little while. And if you don't screw it up, you get the title and the, and the, and the pay bump. So it stands to reason at some point I will be doing the work of a vice president for a while. And if all goes well, if I don't screw it up, I'll get promoted to vice president when the time comes. Right? So as a senior director... With the title change, I wasn't expecting the nature of the work to change because I was already doing the work. But there's an increase in what I call fire drills and what I call vanity work. And these are unflattering terms. They will, they will probably get me in trouble. My mouth gets me in trouble a lot, but... I place a high value on speaking plainly. It makes it really easy for other people to understand what you're getting at. So the fire drills. These are usually pieces of unplanned work. Often work that I can't delegate or I have to delegate to people who are already busy doing other planned things and they need to drop those things in order to deliver on the fire drill. And this ends up frustrating a lot of people. They work long hours, even though I don't want them to. I want them to work, you know, regular 40-hour weeks and go home, be with their families, be with their friends. Well, at least when there's no global pandemic. And then come back to work recharged, happy, ready, hungry but a lot of the times this work can't be delegated it's something that I have to do and so I have to stop the momentum of all these connections happening inside of my brain to do something small to do something I'm not good at and then somehow pick up all the pieces of those multiverses that are being built inside of my head and put them back together again and hope that I get enough time to see them through. 
before the next interruption. Meetings are also really hard. Meetings are hard because of the social dynamic. So you might notice the way I speak. I'm thoughtful. I take my time. I didn't come into the show with a script. I just came in with an idea and a microphone. And I'm just talking to you. I pause to collect my thoughts. To think about the next thing I'm going to say. And then I leave some space for digestion. Because this is what I would want. I would want somebody to share an idea with me. And let me chew on it. Ingest it. Digest it. Before giving me too much more. So I could build those connections in my mind. Work meetings are often very different than this. They're very fast paced. Only certain people are asked to speak. And anybody else who speaks has to be rude. You have to jump in. You have to interrupt people. You have to assert your time to speak. And you can't, you can't slow down. You have to fill every moment of silence with sound. Because the moment you give up any silence, somebody's going to take that as their cue to jump in and take over. So you end up with a lot of people who bloviate, who talk a lot and say little. And you end up with the few who have a lot to say saying nothing at all because no room exists for them to thrive not just autistic people uh, introverts I think face this as well introverts and autistic people have a lot of similar social challenges I think and I think a lot of autistic people would uh, describe themselves as socially introverted So imagine, imagine you're a CEO, you're some big shot at some big company, and you're hearing about autism at work, you're hearing about neurodiversity, and you want to hire some of these big brains. Do you really know how to use them? Do you really know how to make room for them to thrive? Or do you want to hire these big brains and have them have them work within the constraints of the people you've already got using the social tools you already know? I think of it a little bit like, here, here we go, here's the beach thing. You've been waiting for it. I think of it like, you know, Mr. CEO, because it's always a Mr. Right? It's usually a guy. We got to fix that. But Mr. CEO goes to the ocean. It's ocean. You are 
you have amazing potential, great depth, great power. I think there's a place for you in my team. <laughs> there's a place for you in my team, Ocean. Come join us. So imagine you want to you wanna use the ocean. One of the ways that people might want to use the ocean is for surfing. So you get your surfboard, you're walking down the beach, and you keep walking down the beach. But you never actually surf because you don't get in the water. Or maybe you get to the water. I've never been surfing, but I've seen some, some movies. I've seen some TV shows where people go surfing, right? And it always kind of goes like this. Two, two people get their surfboards and they paddle out you know, like they, they get on top of their surfboards and they kind of like dog paddle out into the ocean they, they go out a good ways from the beach and they sit there and they wait and the waves are coming in and one surfer says to the other no bra don't go don't catch that wave that's not the one just wait and you know eventually the right wave comes in and they start dog paddling towards shore real fast. And then when the wave comes to meet them, they get up on top of their boards and they have the time of their lives. The ocean had a chance to build up the perfect wave and they ride that wave in and it was worth the investment. It took time, it took effort, it took waiting. But at the end, they got up on that surfboard and they rode the shit out of that wave. And you give the ocean another chance. Wait a few more minutes, maybe a half hour. And another big wave comes in and you do it again. But that's not how it often works. Being an autistic person in the workplace, being an autistic leader in the workplace. The way it often works is, wow, the ocean has given us some great stuff. Ocean, wave now, wave. All right, give me another wave, wave. But that's not how it works. The waves don't come on demand. They don't come at your cadence. They come at their own natural cadence. And it usually requires something to happen far away. Like the moon and its gravitational force pulling on the ocean almost like a, like a rubber band, right? And the whole time the Earth's turning while the moon and the sun are each exerting their gravitational pull on the Earth's oceans. And all these things happening together, tectonic plates shifting under the ocean, all of these things result in the water moving up and down, creating waves, creating ripples. And it'll start small somewhere. It might start small in Bermuda and move its way towards the Atlantic coast of the United States. I'm in North Carolina, so I'm thinking of the Atlantic Ocean here. And it goes for miles and miles, and it might take you know, hours or more to move across the ocean, building momentum, building height, building volume. And that's kind of how that's kind of how a brain like mine works just get the wave started 
and wait for it. Ride it at the right time. And then the ocean will recover and it will bring up a new wave on its time, on its cadence. The other thing about the ocean is it's got tides. Two high tides a day, two low tides. When the tide is coming in, the ocean is building in your favor and those waves are coming in. But then the ocean also has to recede. It has to have its low tide where the waves are going back out. The water is moving away from the shore. It's receding. For the ocean's power to be what it is, to be as strong as it is, to be as dependable as it is, it has to have the high tides and the low tides. So if you're leading neurodivergent people, if you've got autistic folks working for you, ADHD, what have you, I don't want to speak for other groups, I'm just going to speak for me. I'm not even going to speak for other autistic people, I'm going to speak for me. If you want an autistic leader like me working for you, you have to make room. You have to make room for that force of nature to happen, to thrive. You can't contain it. You can't contain the ocean in a bucket, in a pail, however you say it where you're from. You can't demand the ocean to be at high tide every time you need something. And you can't ask the ocean to do high tide and low tide at the same time. So think a lot about what you're asking of, of people, not just autistic people. I think this, this would go a long way with everybody, but especially with autistic people, especially with an autistic person like me. Don't Try to distract me with unnecessary bullshit. Creating reports. Like if you don't know enough about your own team, if you don't know enough about the people who roll up to you, that you need them to create reports for you. That's not their problem. That's your problem. You need to get off your ass. And not summon the truth to you because you're not going to get the truth. You're going to get propaganda. People are going to come to you with a cultivated version of the truth that's intended to appease you, to not arouse anger in you. So you'll make decisions based not on the truth, but based on an illusion. If we can agree that these reports are generally bullshit, why ask for them? 
Because the person above you is asking for them, why are they asking for them? Because they're out of the loop too. Instead of changing the autistic people who work for you, change the environment to be more inclusive of them. Walk along the beach. Find the right spot. Be aware of the tide schedule. Wait for the tide to start coming in. Paddle out. Wait for it. Give it time. That wave is going to come in. And if you ignore for a moment the illusion of productivity, which is usually the appearance of being busy. Autistic minds will blow your mind. We don't need the appearance of being busy. We don't need all of these illusions, the trappings of the, the typical workplace. A lot of the times we do our best work doing nothing until we do something and then just get out of the way or ride it in don't try to tame the ocean thank you